This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so we're continuing our series uh, through the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to be uh, finding Luke chapter 8. And um, the heading in my Bible in Luke 8 verse 40 uh, is a dead girl and a sick woman. And uh, I couldn't come up with any better title, I'm afraid. So that's my title for this morning. It seemed good enough uh, for the NIV editors, so I think it's good enough for me. So that's what this morning we're going to look at, a dead girl and a sick woman. And it follows on from uh, Adam preaching last week, and it completes these little accounts, thank you very much, of um, Luke referencing Jesus' power to exercise authority both over nature and power over sickness. And there's a a couple of accounts that we're going to look at in a few moments. Now, it's worth remembering that the writer of this gospel uh, is Luke, and uh, we know that he's a doctor, so it's not unusual, I suppose, for him to be interested in accounts of Jesus healing the sick. It'll be something that'll be uh, interesting to him. And there are a whole number of accounts in his gospel of Jesus healing the sick on different occasions. And uh, he's keen for his readers, both Theophilus, who initially received this account, and also for others for whom this gospel uh, is meant to be instructive, and that includes us, he's keen for us to see something of what Jesus was doing. But it's important that we understand that this is not just a lesson from history. So I don't want us to come to it this morning thinking, oh, this is a history lesson. We just happen to be using the Bible rather than another textbook. No, no, no. This is important we understand. You see... Luke is not just recording these accounts for our interest, not even just for our mental knowledge. In writing down what he's learnt from the eyewitnesses and servants of the word, which he describes in chapter 1 and verse 2, he means the apostles, I guess, Luke is introducing us to Jesus and he wants us to meet him in his gospel here. And more than that, he expects what he's written to impact us. He expects it to make a difference in our lives. So Luke is not just giving us information. He wants us to be changed. For our lives to be affected and for faith to rise. So when we're confronted with truth, and we will be this morning, God's word is truth to us then Luke expects it to do do us some good and to work something in our lives. And I'm expecting the same thing. I'm expecting, as we spend a few moments this morning looking at this passage together, for God to do something in our hearts and in our lives. You expecting that? That's what I'm expecting this morning, God to be at work. And so there are three main characters that we'll look at. Jesus a guy called Jairus, and an unnamed woman. So let's pray, and then we'll read this passage together. (coughs) Lord Jesus, we do thank you for speaking to us, ministering to us by your Spirit already this morning. 
so powerfully and so clearly. But Lord, we ask now that you would continue your work in us and you would speak to us from your word. Lord, help us to understand what we read. Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our lives. I pray you'd help me to communicate well. And I pray, Lord, that we might meet you afresh in your word now. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bible open then, Luke chapter 8, verse 40, is where we're going to pick up Luke's account. So now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then a woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Okay, so let's look then, first of all, at this guy named Jairus. We're told that he's a synagogue ruler. That would have been quite a responsible position. He would have been a layman who was responsible for services in the synagogue. He was responsible for the building, for maintaining order, as the NIV Study Bible puts it. I would guess he's probably not the sort of person who is prone to emotional outbursts. And yet he comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And I guess any of us would do the same if our only daughter was dying too. Here's the action of a desperate man. See, Jesus is his only hope. He doesn't really care what people think. He's just thinking about his daughter and seeing her made well. Now, in Mark's account, we're told he says to Jesus, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Do you notice there's an expectation there, isn't there? There's an expectation on his part that if Jesus comes, all will be well, that she will be healed and that she will live. 
You know, probably he'd seen Jesus heal other people or at least heard about what Jesus had been doing. And now he comes boldly to Jesus to ask for a miracle. Nothing more, nothing less. He's not asking Jesus just to pray. He's not saying, you know, for some mild improvement would that help. He's asking for total healing. He wants his daughter to live. He's very clear about what he's asking Jesus for. You know, I've often talked about the sort of prayers that I grew up with in prayer meetings, where if I'm honest, there wasn't a whole load of faith for healing. And if we prayed for people who were ill, you know, we prayed for Mrs. So-and-so who was laid aside on a bed of sickness, whatever that might be, and you know, we might pray that God would comfort her and come to her, but I don't remember a whole lot of faith for God healing and breaking in. Our prayers were caged in possibles and maybes and just asking God for something that we could perhaps imagine, that that God might comfort her or whoever it was that we were praying for. And even if we were praying for healing, I, I don't feel there's a lot of faith for it. And I would have been just as guilty as anybody else in the room for that. And I suppose one of the reasons might have been a lack of faith on our part. Perhaps equally it was due to a lack of experience. We hadn't seen a whole lot of sick people healed. And so that wasn't really stirring our prayers and stirring our faith for those sort of things. Maybe you can relate to that. But you know, whether our prayers are affected by a lack of faith or a lack of experience in seeing the sick healed, actually the truth is we should have follow what the Bible says. We should have obeyed Scripture. We should have been faithful to what God had told us to do. Now, I understand that seeing sick people healed builds our faith. It's built my faith. When I've prayed for people or been around people who have been prayed for and seen them healed, that does build faith. It stirs our faith in that God does it today. Some of you would have been at at North over the summer, the Bible weekend that we We go to it each summer and it was wonderful to see a guy who had been born blind receive a measure of sight in one of his eyes. It was remarkable. I saw an email a few few weeks later from an eye professional saying even the way he walked, you could tell this was somebody who had just obtained some sight in his eye because she was familiar with seeing people operated on and and seeing them come out when bandages are removed. She said even the way he moved, you could see that something had happened. The way he interacted with people. It was remarkable. We saw somebody who had a blind eye receive partial healing in his eye and received a measure of sight. And he can still see out of it today. It's fantastic. It stirs our faith, isn't it, that God still is on the move and still heals people today. But you can't build an entire belief system on your experience. Because our experience is varied, isn't it? Actually, we ought to believe what the Bible says. What God's Word says. What's our solid foundation? What should we be building our lives on? What should be the cornerstone to everything else? Well, actually, it's what God has already said in His words. And we're commanded very clearly to, wasn't to say pray for the sick. It's not, it's to heal the sick. That's, we'll come on to that <clears throat> yeah, next time we look at Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 9. You see, if our experience doesn't match up with God's Word, what needs to change? <laughs> And let's give us a clue. It's not this. Actually, God wants us 
to experience what he has for us. And so this should be a challenge to us. And it should stir our faith. You see, this morning I want to impart faith. Romans 10:17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And it's the words of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture that we're hearing this morning. They build faith. I want God to be building faith in us this morning, both in us as individuals and also in us as a people together. You up for that? You up for God doing some faith building this morning? Look at how Jesus responded to Jairus. Immediately he goes with him. Immediately Jesus is there. Jesus loves responding to faith. He loves it. He did then, he does now. The writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, the good news is if you're struggling with faith and you ask God, then he'll help you. There's that wonderful phrase in Mark 9, isn't it, where someone says to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I guess if we're honest, that's a situation that most of us are in most of the time. Lord, I, I do believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? And God loves to do that as well. He loves to do that as well. So Jairus has shown faith, Jesus has responded to his request, and it looks like everything's going to be fine. It looks like everything's going to be good. Jesus is on his way there, everything will be okay. But then just like when it looks like everything is nearly resolved, as far as Jairus is concerned, disaster strikes. Because Jesus is delayed. Now for Jairus, this is serious. He got Jesus' attention, He got Jesus to come to his house. He had faith that now his daughter was going to be well. And then suddenly, Jesus is delight. This doesn't look good. But it seems Jesus isn't worried about it. Because he wants to know who's touched him. And you can imagine Jairus at this point going, does it really matter? You know, my daughter's dying. You've said you'll come. You know, never mind who touched you. Let's, let's just go. And even if he didn't say it, he probably thought it. And the disciples think Jesus has lost it at this point because they're in a busy crowd. There's lots of people pressing around. And Jesus says, hang on a second. Who touched me? It's like you being on a tube. I was in London this week. It's like you being on a tube in London in a rush hour and, you know, because they don't come very often, do they? It's only every couple of minutes. So everybody crams on to get to the tube that's just arrived. And you know what it's like? Everybody tries to get through these doors and you're squashed like sardines. It's that sort of situation. You might put your hand up and go, excuse me, who pressed through? Who pushed? The reality is everybody pushed. And the crowd that Jesus was in would, would have been similar. Who touched me? Who pushed? Well, probably Everybody. Actually, Jesus wasn't asking who was pushing or who happened to to push by. He knew that somebody had reached out to him in faith. He's saying, who touched me? It isn't just who physically touched him. It's who's reached out. Who reached out? And Jesus wants to know. And he's not prepared to give up until he's found out. 
And so they wait, and it, eventually it seems that after an, an initially everyone denying it, rather timidly this woman comes forward and admits that it was her. And she tells how she reached out to Jesus, and in that moment she was healed. She'd been suffering with bleeding for 12 years. No doubt she'd tried all sorts of supposed cures and remedies, different solutions, but nothing had worked. But in the moment of reaching out to Jesus and touching him, immediately she's healed. Now we don't know if the woman had got her theology totally straight. If she really knew who Jesus was or if she thought she had a coat with magic powers. But we do know that she reached out and in that moment she was healed. See, Jesus doesn't quiz her on her theology. He responds to her faith. Now, I'm not saying that theology isn't important. It is. Please don't misquote me. But what Jesus sees here is faith. So you don't have to pass a test to get to Jesus. There wasn't a little exam paper that the disciples held out. So, well, before you get to Jesus, you need to ask, ask these ten questions. Do you really know who he is? Have you, have, you know, have you given your life to following him? Have you da 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 There's none of that. She just reached out. She just touched him. It's not about a test. It's about trust. It's not about a test. It's about trust. See, God responds to untheological prayers from unsaved people. Because if he didn't, you and I probably wouldn't be here. Had we got our theology all straightened out when we first came to Christ? Probably not. Have we got our theology all straightened out now? Well, hopefully a bit more so than then. But we're probably it's a work in progress. Most of us are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress, and I guess you are too. But it's not a test. It's about trust. And if we're not careful... We can become like the Pharisees and be so concerned about perfect theology and everything being right and in the right box and ticked at the appropriate time following certain rules that we don't see the heart and lose life. I wonder if that's a danger for you. See, if it is, then this morning is a time to come to God and ask him to soften your heart. God's promise through Ezekiel was this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I feel this morning there's some heart exchanges that God wants to do. He wants to take your heart of stone, a heart that's got cold, and give you a heart of flesh. So let's just be clear. <clears throat> Touching Jesus wasn't doing, to do with his cloak wouldn't have some special properties in it. It was reaching out to him. And we understand that because Jesus makes it very clear uh, when he says in verse 48, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And she walks away, set free and healed. You see, it's her faith in Jesus that has brought about her healing. That was expressed by her pushing through and reaching out trusting that Jesus could do something about her situation. It wasn't the cloak that did it. It was him that did it. He was the one. Jesus was the one that could help her, who could meet her need, who could heal her. And he did. 
And bear in mind, this woman would have been unceremonially, sorry, ceremonially unclean. She probably shouldn't have even been there. But she still pushed through, reached out, and received her healing. So she goes away happy. But back to Jairus, just as Jesus is dealing with this woman, taking time over her, talking with her, finding out about her story probably, and confirming that she's been healed because of her faith in him, the worst possible situation now occurs for Jairus. He sees someone he recognises coming in the distance. And immediately he knows. Immediately he knows it's not good news. He can tell by their face. He knows it's not looking good now. Daughter, your daughter is dead, he's told. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And in that moment, you can imagine his heart sinking. He thought we had it sorted. He thought that things were going to be okay. But Jesus hasn't forgotten him. He hasn't got sidetracked. Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And she'll be healed. In verse 15. Jairus thought that Jesus had forgotten him, got sidetracked on somebody else and it was all over. But Jesus makes it really clear. Don't be afraid, just believe. I wonder, have you ever felt that Jesus has forgotten you? Can you relate to how Jairus felt in that moment? Maybe it all started out okay. You felt God had heard you and responded to your request and then perhaps something happened and you began to wonder if maybe Jesus hadn't got sidetracked on another issue or somebody else on his way to sort out something for you. And you wondered if maybe Jesus had forgotten you in the process. As I was preparing this week, I really felt this point apply to a few people here this morning. Maybe it does to you. Maybe you're a couple here. You've perhaps had this conversation, maybe even in the last week or so. You thought, has Jesus forgotten us? This situation we prayed about, asked God for, has he forgotten he got sidetracked on something else listen God's word to you this morning is this it's very clear don't be afraid just believe don't be afraid just believe see Jairus thought it was all over but it wasn't Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and he still does today do you believe it? he knew what he was doing He hadn't forgotten him. Jesus knows what he's doing as much now as he did then. And you know if it's you, because the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on you right now. (laughs) You know, even as you're sitting there, yeah, that's you. You think maybe God's forgotten you somehow. The plan bypassed. (laughs) And you wonder what he's up to. Listen, don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God and holding on to him. You see, we've read what happens in the story, just to finish it off. By the time Jesus arrives, the mourners are already there. They're creating a scene. There's chaos. There's noise. There's wailing. There's absolutely no faith for healing in that environment, is there? (laughs) Jesus sends them all out. He takes Peter, James and John and the child's parents 
and goes to where the child is. He commands her to get up and immediately her life is restored. In that moment, her life returns to her. And there's great celebration. First and foremost from her parents, clearly. But do you notice that Jesus got rid of a few people to start with? He got rid of unbelief. All the people who were crying and wailing and creating a scene, he sent them out of the room. He didn't surround himself with lots of people. He certainly didn't surround himself with, them, with those who were <coughs> questioning it and uh, creating chaos and noise and mourning and didn't have any faith for healing. He surrounded himself with just a few. Just a few. He got rid of any distraction and people that would have caused doubt. I wonder what, or maybe who, causes your faith to doubt? What is it for you? What causes your faith to doubt? I want to suggest this morning, friends, that we need to get rid of what causes our faith to doubt. Jesus sent them out, out of the room. What is it that causes you unbelief? What, it, what is it that distracts you from trusting God? Is it certain individuals who keep questioning it? Is it TV programs, books? Now, let's be, let's be very clear for a moment. I'm not suggesting that you bump off certain individuals who maybe question things. <laughs> maybe it's somebody close to you that's harder. Whatever causes you unbelief, you need to be ensuring that you replace that with whatever encourages your faith. What what is it that causes you unbelief? Perhaps a better question is what causes your faith to be built up? Don't hang around with moaners, complainers and mischief makers. What causes your faith to be built up? rather than doubt to come. I want to encourage us this morning, encourage you, spend time with those people who will build you up and encourage your faith, who will encourage you in your walk with Jesus and stir you to believe him for more. So as we begin to close, what's some of the application here then? First phrase that really jumped out at me this week was to do is pushing through and reaching out just as that woman did push through the crowd and reached out to Jesus I wonder in what area do you need to push through what is it for you in what area do you need to push through reach out and trust Jesus see our society today is very consumerist isn't it everything is immediate everything is delivered on a plate you can phone up your local takeaway and have dinner delivered to you to save you the bother of cooking. You can log on to Amazon and probably have anything you like delivered to you within a few days just at a click of a, of a, of a button. And it's immediate and there's perhaps little effort required. Even qualifications, you, know, you can buy if you don't fancy studying. You think you'll know, bypass that and, you know, <coughs> if you respond to some of those spam emails, you can, you can get your PhD just like that. I'm not suggesting that you should, anybody that's studying for a while. <laughs> but there's that, there's that sort of incessant drip in society, isn't there? You say, oh, you don't, don't bother, just, you know, just get it like that. We've become quite passive. 
But this woman wasn't passive. She pressed through and reached out. She wasn't passive. (laughs) Not at all. Jairus wasn't passive either. He found Jesus, he got his attention and got him to come to his house because he knew that Jesus was his only hope. They both had serious situations that they hoped Jesus could change. For Jairus, it was the life of his daughter. For this woman, it was her bleeding for 12 years. Those sorts of situations do cause us to persevere, to persist. They're serious. But what about other things? What about other things that maybe has caused you to question or to doubt? God's word is this, to push through and to reach out. To keep pushing through and to keep reaching out. Even with things in the church, maybe starting a new ministry that serves a particular group of people, you'll need to push through and to reach out. We talked about the prayer meeting in Burton. Planting a church in another town takes pushing through and reaching out. Actually doing anything worthwhile for Jesus requires a certain degree of pushing through and reaching out to him. Seeing your friends reach for the gospel, that requires pushing through and reaching out. All sorts of other wrongs in society that someone should do something about, we might say. That requires pushing through and reaching out as well. Maybe for you it's in the area of healing. Maybe you've been suffering for years like this woman had been. Maybe you've prayed for lots of people but haven't seen many healed. Listen, God's word to you this morning is this, don't give up. Keep trusting him. Keep pushing through and reaching out. Keep trusting God. I want to urge us this morning as we close to keep believing God and to keep trusting him. Can the band come up please as we finish? So this passage should challenge our faith. It does, doesn't it? Read something like this and think, what would I do there? Would I I push through? Would I reach out? It should challenge us. It's meant to challenge us. But it should also provoke us to believe God. To believe his word to us. To believe what he said. And to trust him. Even if the situation looks bleak. Let's be honest about it. For Jairus, it looked pretty bleak. It wasn't good to start with. And then when someone came and said, it's over, she's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. At that moment, it could not have looked more bleak. But Jesus' word to him was very simple. What did he say? Don't be afraid. Just believe. This morning I believe God wants to remove fear and give faith. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Can we stand together please? I want to remind us of a couple of things that I've mentioned because I feel that there's one or two people that do need to respond to the Lord this morning. Maybe for you it's hearts of flesh in exchange for hearts of stone that have got cold towards him. Or maybe you feel that God has forgotten you. That he's bypassed you. He's maybe got distracted on the way. Is that you? 
Have you thought that even in the last couple of weeks? Maybe even talked about it with your husband or wife. Maybe you need to push through and reach out to Jesus afresh this morning. And just to bring back Lou's word at the end of our time of worship about God wanting to create a new masterpiece in you. Are you giving him the canvas to use? Have you allowed him free reign to to paint on the canvas of your life? We're gonna, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to worship the Lord together. And I want to encourage us to respond to God. We'd love to pray for you and with you if you feel you fit in any of those categories. If you feel God's prompted your heart this morning then as we worship you just come to the front and there'll be others that gather around and we'd love to pray with you and pray for you and help you as you reach out and trust him and allow the spirit to do what he wants to do this morning let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for your word to us and God we pray now in these moments that you would do in our hearts what only you can do that you would come and seal what you've spoken this morning and that you would come and stir faith now. Lord, I pray that faith would rise. Lord, where people have maybe doubted that (coughs) you can do it. Father, I pray that there be a fresh reaching out to you, a fresh pushing through the crowd and reaching to you this morning, a fresh believing in you, not being afraid, but believing in you. Lord, for any who feel that you may have forgotten them, Lord, I pray this morning that they would hear from heaven once again that you are there. You haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today and forever. And God, I want to pray this morning that you would come. Lord, I pray that we would give you the canvas of our lives for you to paint a great masterpiece on in order, Lord, that you might be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.